Well, um, you know, Sean and Melissa going out from here, our church uh, will be supporting them significantly as a church body. We'll be sending every month $600 a month to Sean and Melissa. That's substantial. Not near enough, like they said. Uh, not near enough. In one of the three, four, you could make a case for the most influential city in the world. You could make that case. Others would say, no, 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 New York. Others would say, hey, you're too uh, ethnocentric. Look outside London. There are other places that, you know, Beijing is rapidly rising up the ranks. Clearly, for the time, D.C., one of the most influential cities in the world. And we have a privilege of being a part. Um, I'm going to guess, uh, Sean, not that I want to put words in his mouth, but if you came to Sean and said, we're going to support you instead of Grace Community Church, he would say, don't want your money. I think you'd say something like that, right, Sean and Melissa? Uh, we don't want your money. Just keep it, you know, if you're not going to do that. No, but look, when I was at camp, when people would say, we're going to give the money to camp instead of the church, I'd say, please don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. If I knew they were in a church, I maybe wasn't quite so much as the issues will be laid out today about truth. You know, it's different when you're in a church where the truth is really being taught and another when you're ministering in a place where it's not being taught. But most of the churches that came to camp, I, 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 there was just no question in my mind that, that you're to give to church first. Beyond that, beyond that, let me encourage you to give and to be a part. I don't know where it'll come from. You'll be surprised where it will come from. Just go to the table, sign up so that we can get them out. I mean, uh, so that they can get on the field as quickly. No, we do not want to get them out of here. I... I, I I've told Sean and David both, I wish you would just stay here and just, and they look at me, you know, well, Sean particularly would look at me like, because this was on his heart all along. And we know that God has called him there. So be a part of that. <clears throat> well, I am so glad that you are here today. And Allison, my wife, my lovely wife, Allison, who was on the greeting team this morning, t morning, tells me that many of you are here for the first time. And we extend a special welcome to you. And if you enjoy being here today and you say, you know, I'm just going to check that place out a little more. In two weeks, two weeks from today, David mentioned this earlier, but in case you missed it, we are having what we call a discovery lunch right after church. If you're relatively new, even if you've been coming for a while to Grace, but you don't know the elders, our elders will be there. <clears throat> some of our, our, our leaders, maybe, you know, if we can encourage some of the deacons who are true leaders in our church. They're not just servants. They're true leaders in our church. Ministry leaders will be there because we also have an, uh, leadership training that day, ministry training, especially for those who... Uh, would be interested in serving in children's ministry. But it'll just give you a, a, a chance to, to, to get a feel for who we are, who the people are, 
of grace. There'll be no football on that day. It's the bye, you know, it's the off week between playoffs and Super Bowl. I'm concerned. I, I, I'm really excited about the Panthers game, and Luke Keekley is on the front row. It bothers me. He's got Keekley on his, uh, on his name tag. So I wish he were in Charlotte as much as I'm glad he's here. <clears throat> but, but it will be a time just to get together and, and hang out. <laughs> if you were here last week, then you may recall that challenge was laid forth to make 2014 the year of love here at Grace Community Church. Uh, the message focused as much on impediments to biblical love, such as loving the wrong things and bitterness, how those things keep us from loving, as it did on loving Jesus and others, but there's no mistake in the priority of love in Scripture. I, I was really tempted last week. The first of the year, I love the first of the year. I love everything about New Year's. I, I, I just feel so alive and hopeful at this time of year. Um, and, and, and Right at the very end, I said, you know, I'm tempted to be tired because of all of those things that that challenge your your willingness to get outside of yourself, that kind of build up in you. But it's always an exciting time of the year to to refocus and, and move forward. I was tempted to talk about making 2014 a year of truth, the year of truth and standing for truth. Fortunately, as we work our way back into Mark... Mark 6 to be specific, our text focuses on that very thing. I have to say, though, right up front, and I'm sorry I've been dealing with a cold this week, and I really feel better than than I sound. I have to say, truth is not as easy a topic as you might think. The title of the message might feel long enough to be the message itself, Costly Truth. Laser focus, kingdom advance. We see all three of these things in Mark chapter 6, 1 through 30. When you go to the doctor for your annual, semi-annual, every six-year physical exam, what, what do you want to hear the doctor say? I mean, do you want him to come out and say, everything looks great, see you in six years? Or, I've got some concerns here, we need to do some tests What you want to hear and what you need to hear may be two different things entirely. Of course we want to hear everything is fine, but my guess is that you want the doctor to tell you the truth about your physical state, whether you want to hear it or not. Not everyone, though. I'm almost in that category. You know, hold off to the last minute before you go to the doctor and possibly hear Bad news. I mean, some don't want to hear about it until it's too late to do anything about their condition. It's the same with spiritual matters and people's relationship with God and their understanding of the truth about God. I mean, do you think that most people want to hear, if you refuse to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh and that he died for your sins, then according to To Scripture, you will spend eternity apart from God in hell. This may shock you, but a lot of people don't want to hear that. 
I mean, do you believe it's true? Do you believe that people need to hear the gospel whether they believe it or not? Then how are they going to hear? Is it easy for you to speak the truth of the gospel? I mean, it's good news, isn't it? I mean, don't we just want to share good news with people? Well, you know, I kind of like to, to, to preach the gospel with my life. Well, so do I. Uh, I'm not very good at it sometimes, but I, that's what I would prefer to say, you know, this is my only responsibility. But look again at the title of the message, Costly Truth, Laser Focus, Kingdom Advance. We're going to read our text for the answers to these kinds of questions. Should we speak, are we called to speak the truth at all cost? There are three different sections in our text, Mark 6, 1 through 30. Um, Three distinct sections, in fact. We're going to stand and read just the first portion, and then we'll get to the others as we come to them. Uh, Mark 6, 1 through 6a, actually. Would you please stand as we read Scripture together? He, being Jesus, went away from there. This is that just after he's raised a little girl from the dead. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And among his relatives. And in his own household. And he could not do many mighty works there. Or he could not do mighty works there, but except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Father, may it never be said about us that you marvel at our unbelief. We recognize that You are the cause of everything that is good in our lives, even the fact that we believe the truth. We pray that our hearts would be committed to the truth, that we would love you and love people as we share the truth, never with arrogance or never with the spirit of anger but Lord, with a commitment to the truth. And we pray that your word would move us in the direction you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, be seated. 
we're picking up our study of Mark at an interesting place. Of course, you could say that just about any time you've been away and now you're back. Uh, John the Baptist and Jesus have both announced that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's very near. Jesus has performed many, many miracles to validate his message, the message that I am come from God and I am the one. Come thou long expected Jesus, come to set your people free. He was making that announcement about himself, but people rejected it. Who do you think you are kind of rejection? Jesus said, I am the Messiah, the Savior. I am indeed God in the flesh. But in the face of these amazing miracles, including raising a dead girl back to life, the religious leaders rejected Jesus. They rejected his message. But now Jesus is going to his hometown church, the, the synagogue in Nazareth. And surely the people will give him a good reception. I mean, his message has has been received much more readily among country folk than it has among city folk. And if Nazareth is anything, it's country. It's never going to be mistaken for, for city. Any more than Irwin, you know, is going to be mistaken for big, big city. It's just not. It's just it's who we are. And so Jesus comes into town, and maybe this is going to be good or not. Open and receptive hearts were not in abundance in the synagogue, if at all, in his hometown as well as in the church. When you, actually, when you look at this point in some of the other accounts, in Luke chapter 4, you see that when Jesus came in and people had heard about his miracles and they had known about his ministry of healing people who were sick, there was actually a, 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 an excitement. It's kind of like local boy makes big splash and, you know, we want to be a part of that. And they all spoke well of him. But then when he began to proclaim the truth about who he was, they turned on him. Jesus revealed their hearts of unbelief. And the crowd became furious and they rushed him and they took him to the edge of the city where they were going to throw him off. I've been old at, at Nazareth at that hillside where they were going to throw him off the cliffs and just kill him, essentially. His hometown, I mean... Imagine in one service they went from being, it's being, yes, Jesus, we've heard so much, we're so excited, to all of a sudden, who do you think you are? You son of Mary. Now that was a horrible insult because nobody was called by his mother's name. Males were never said, that, you know, that's Mary's son, it was, that's Joseph's son. So they were making a very specific point. You illegitimate. Who do you think you are? We don't want anything to do with you. And they tried to kill him, but Jesus avoided death by passing through the crowds. I have no idea what that means. Whether he just bulled his way through, he slipped through, I don't know. But he passed through. I can't tell you how many times people are so excited to hear that I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. Until they find out what I believe. <laughs> and then it's not as good anymore. Just out of curiosity, have any of you ever experienced other people's 
or displeasure about what you believe about Jesus? Especially family? Um, in fact, if you believe the gospel, that apart from Jesus, there is no salvation, that we can never be good enough to make ourselves acceptable to God, if you believe that, that alone brands you as intolerant. That alone brands you as intolerant. Not to mention your beliefs about hell, about abortion, about same-sex marriage. You can quickly go from being intolerant to being a bigot to being dangerous. How do you think the message of truth that Sean and Melissa are taking to D.C. is going to play in D.C.? You know, it's not like they're saying, you know, finally I'm leaving the difficult south and I'm going somewhere where they're going to hear my message. Not so. The truth has never been popular. Now, you might say, hey, that's your version of the truth. I agree that there are lots of different ways of of looking at various philosophical viewpoints, and, and there may be different ways of interpreting difficult biblical text. But when you come to a verse like John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Either accept what, you, what Jesus said as, as truth or you, or you believe it to be a lie, right? When you add Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, Jesus, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I don't. And the New Testament is loaded with this. I don't, I don't find any wiggle room. That was essentially what Jesus was saying to his hometown audience when they became so furious. And as what is said over and over and over in Scripture that salvation is found in Jesus alone. All of the Old Testament pointed to to, to Jesus and all of the New Testament tells us that Jesus was God's only plan of redemption, only plan of redemption from before the foundation of the world. In verse 2, we're told that the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching. And this is not like, oh, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> you're, that's, that's really great. I love what you're saying there. It's like they were like, oh, Really? Verse 6 tells us that Jesus was equally astonished at their unbelief. Now, I know that husband and wife, you've never had one of those times where you're both looking at each other like, you know, one says, and the other one says, (laughs) well, that's kind of what's going on here, you know. It's like they can't believe, or parents and children, you know, that's never happened. Verse 5 says that because of their unbelief, Jesus could not do many 
or do, could do no mighty works there. Now, now, clearly Jesus did not do miracles because he would not. Sovereignty is not sovereignty if it's dependent on anything. You believe that? Sovereignty is not sovereignty if it's dependent on anything, but because of their unbelief, anything but its own will. But because of their unbelief, Jesus was morally compelled not to show his power. You've been in those conversations where you know something about a particular topic, but the other people are so sure of themselves that you just remain silent. You ever been in that setting? I mean, you, you could bring clarity, but you don't think it would be accepted, it wouldn't be appreciated, so you just kind of, you're just kind of there. The primary reason given for the people's unbelief was their familiarity, familiarity with Jesus. You know, this is just really in a little aside, it's kind of an application. Even as followers in the 21st century, we can struggle with the problem of familiarity. I'm going to try not to say that again, <laughs> since I can't. While Jesus didn't grow up in our neighborhood, there's a danger of our knowledge of him dulling our spiritual sensitivity to him. The more that we know about Jesus, the easier it is to live without him. Because we just kind of coast on our knowledge. We treat our faith in Christ as so familiar, let me say it that way, that there's no room for the holy mysteries of the incarnation, of grace, of resurrection. Which, when you think about it, are beautiful beyond description until they become ordinary. Jesus was just ordinary to his hometown. And you know, here in the south, it's fading here like it is everywhere else. But just the name Jesus is like, oh yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus. You know, hey, of course I do. I go to church. I'm a member. been baptized. I, I, I'm an American. I, of course I believe in Jesus. Oddly enough, sometimes when people reject our proclamation of the truth about Jesus, that keeps us more in touch with who he really is and with the beauty of what he has done in our lives and if it just went unchallenged. I mean, if everyone believed, it may become too ordinary. If everybody believed our message, then Jesus might just become too ordinary. This truth is beautiful, but it always cost us something to share it. Some are going to believe, some are going to reject it. Our responsibility slash privilege privilege to share the gospel requires a laser focus. Mark 6, 6 b through 13 shows us how Jesus prepared his disciples to be missionaries. And he went out among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals 
and not put on two tunics. Thus far, Jesus has done all of the preaching, the teaching, casting out demons, the healing. And now he's sending his disciples out two by two. No doubt he's sending them in pairs for mutual encouragement. They can encourage one another. When one is down, the other, you know, lifts it up. You, you see that in your friendships, your relationships, your marriage, your family. When one is down, others just build up. But it also met the legal requirement. Two witnesses met the legal requirement for authentic testimony. The early church followed this pattern as well. And it's wise for us to do the same. <laughs> Even though this was a command for a specific mission, the command to preach the gospel is still on us today, all of us. So after Jesus commissions his disciples to go out, he starts giving them very specific instructions. Don't take any food with you. Don't take any form of protection, a rod. Take a staff to help you walk, but don't take a rod, you know, to beat off people. Um, no money, no bag. That's a begging bag. That's kind of, you know, people that were on mission like this in that day would, would take a begging bag and people would just kind of put it in their bags. He said, don't do that. And don't even take two tunics. One was used for, for, for covering like a jacket and the other one was used for, for, for putting on uh, top of you if you're sleeping in the public square. It was a very common thing for people to come to a city and there was a place designated and they would sleep in a public square and they would cover themselves with their second um, tunic. Uh, in all of these <clears throat> instructions, Jesus was calling them to trust their heavenly Father for everything. And with regard to lodging, verse 10 says, And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. In other words, once you're established in a home, don't change to another home. Um, the point was, if somebody you know, offers you a small home and, the, and you say, that's, thank you so much. You know, when you go in and you're out of the public square, you're staying with someone in their home, and then someone with a pool and jacuzzi comes along and says, hey, we got plenty of room in our place, and you're probably sleeping with the kids in there. And <clears throat> Why don't you come stay with us? Jesus said, don't do it. Why? Because it's not about pools and jacuzzis. You have a job to do. And your job requires laser focus. So what is it that is distracting you from doing the work of the kingdom, proclaiming truth? Is it a pursuit of riches? Or an insecurity that if we go ahead and, and pledge this extra money to Sean and Melissa that we're not going to have enough to get by? Or are you afraid that others won't accept your message? I mean, do you find ways to rationalize, the, rationalize away the responsibility that you have to share Jesus with the world? Look, I, I wouldn't make a good retail salesman. If you came into my store to buy clothes or, or an automobile or a computer or whatever, I, I'd probably give you a pitch that said something like, you know, you, 
you probably don't need this or you probably don't want this. But in case you do, I'm right here. You know, I can answer any questions that you have. I mean, I, I, I just, it's difficult. But for some reason with the gospel, I don't know. It's almost like it's an out-of-body experience. The, it's like I have to say the truth. And I know it's not going to be popular. Now, I'm careful. I'm, I'm just as gracious as I can be. And I do like to, you know, develop a relationship. You, here's the thing. More often than not, we have to earn the right to speak to people. Especially people that we're encountering long term. You know, if you're on a plane or you just find yourself in a a conversation with somebody, you may just want to go ahead and share. But even then, you don't want to say, hey, look, before you go off to sleep, I need to tell you something about your soul, brother. You you don't want to do do that. But especially in relationships, we we need to earn the right to speak into people's lives. But... Many times we have that right and we refuse to speak. Don't ever seek to call someone to the Lord that he's not calling to himself. Don't put it on them like that. But share the message. Well, what do you do when someone rejects the message? Verse 11. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, that's probably not exactly meant like you you think it might be. It's not the case that the disciples were to take off their sandals and just, you know, walk up and shake it in somebody's face and say, a pox on you in your house. But it was a resolute Look, before I say that, this, this was a day in which truth was communicated not so much through the printed page as it would be some 14 centuries later before the printing press ever made it possible to disseminate ideas on, on a widespread kind of a scale. It wasn't so, so truth was communicated through stories and, 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 and public speaking. <clears throat> So in Jesus' day, the act of taking off your shoes and shaking off the dust was a further warning of judgment to come. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. It was a very direct message. It's not not an easy message. To tell people what exactly, not only what do we believe, but according to Scripture, what you must believe if you want to be rightly related to God. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So the mission was successful. The demons being cast out, people being healed was synonymous in most cases, not every case, but for the most part, it, it, it indicated that people were receiving the message. When the disciples went in Jesus' name, it meant the same as if Jesus himself had gone and proclaimed the truth. That's pretty stunning, isn't it? 
Sean reminded us of the Helvetic convention, uh, confession a while back in the, the first premise. The word of God preached is the word of God. Whenever you preach God's word, it's God's word going forth. When you go in Jesus' name, it is the same as if Jesus is going. Now, of course, you're not, gonna, you're not perfect like Jesus. You're not going to do it like he would do it. But he amazingly has structured it so that when we go in his name, it's the same as him going. If you are committed to the proclamation of truth. It's going to require laser focus. And it won't always cost you dearly. Some people will gladly receive the word. Sometimes, though, it will cost you. But whether it costs you or not, the kingdom's going to advance. I guess it ultimately boils down to whose kingdom Am I seeking to advance? My own or Jesus? Do I seek personal advancement or am I blessed to be a part of the church against whom the gates of hell will not prevail? It's true and it's true whether I participate or not, but the health of my soul depends on my commitment or lack of commitment. To share in the truth. The ministry that the disciples had was so effective that Herod Antipas heard about it. Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. There were a lot of those Herods. It's easy to get them confused. One thing you can know, they were a mess. I mean, from top to bottom, they were a mess. Herod the Great was the one who tried to have Jesus killed as an infant. But Antipas, Herod Antipas, wasn't worried about Jesus. He was worried about John the Baptist. Who paid the ultimate price for speaking the truth. Let's hear from Mark in verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah, and others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him, or wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet... He heard him gladly. Don't you hate it when your spouse wants you to kill somebody? I mean, that's just, that's just, that's a, that's a lot of pressure to bear. I mean, here's what happened. Herod Antipas, who had Jewish blood and therefore was, was in John the Baptist's line of sight. He had Jewish blood, so it was appropriate for, 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 for um, John to, to, to confront him. Herod had a niece 
named Herodias, who also happened to be his sister-in-law, married to his half-brother Philip. I mean, it was a mess, I'm telling you. She was his niece and his sister-in-law. When Herod first met the lovely Herodias, or we might assume she was lovely, he met her in Rome, and he said, you know, you really ought to let go of my brother Philip. I'm a far better catch. He seduced her and convinced her to divorce Philip and to marry him. No doubt, John urged Antipas to repent. And while it may have irked Herod Antipas that John was talking like this, it infuriated Herodias and she persuaded her ruler husband to have John arrested. She wanted him to be executed, but Herod was afraid of John. Now, now that's a strange turn of events, isn't it? Herod, who has all the power, every advantage, including the power to put John to death, is afraid of him. Why? Because goodness is terrifying to evil. And if anyone qualified for evil, it was his family. The truth about someone's condition can be overwhelming. And if a person rejects the truth, the truth bearer can anticipate the one who who tells the truth. Or anticipate at the very least the possibility of one who rejects Jesus. Herod apparently liked to hear the truth, and and, and probably he toyed with it. You know, he thought, well, maybe I should believe this. John, I, oh, just, you you can can see it. John's probably sitting there talking, and Herod's going back and forth, or, or maybe it's the other way. John, you get the idea, he's kind of a wild man. He's moving back and forth in in his cell, and Herod, or up, up in the throne room, wherever. Um. Maybe he thought about believing, but Herodias sought to silence John's convicting voice. Verse 21, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for the nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you. Up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I, I, I tried to find like a video portrayal of that so we could show it on the screen, but I... So sorry I couldn't find I mean, that's just sordid, isn't it? This is a sick, sick story. In other accounts of John's imprisonment, uh, we hear that he had doubts about Jesus. 
was Jesus. He's like, what am I doing in prison? And he sent some of his followers to Jesus and say, are you really the one that would come and save God's people? Because this doesn't look like the salvation of God's people to me. Jesus was patient. And in fact, at the very moment John made his worst remarks about Jesus, Jesus made his best remarks about John the Baptist. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Than, than, than he. I know that some of you are not in a great place. It's just always the case. Life may have thrown so much at you that you doubt whether or not you make any difference at all. I mean, John actually doubted whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. You may doubt God's goodness because of your circumstances. Or you may doubt the power of the gospel because so many people have rejected your message. Your family thinks you're a joke and the, and the neighbors hurry the children in, you know, when they see you coming down the sidewalk. And we literally have, not the children hurrying in, but, you know, some of that stuff going on. But if you persevere in, the, in your commitment to the truth, you're great in God's kingdom. How great? No one is greater than the Baptist except the least of these in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What if you share the gospel for years and no one repents? No one believes what if you are denied a promotion at work because of your stance on certain social issues of the day? And it's not that you go around broadcasting your beliefs, but when someone asks you what you believe, you say, well, this is what I believe, and you're very gracious, but nonetheless, you're denied a promotion. You may even be fired from your job. Not that you mean to be offensive, but the truth in itself is offensive. And by the way, that's always a good reminder. If people are offended at what you say, make sure they're offended by the cross, not by your presentation of the cross. We're called to love, remember? And in love, we proclaim this difficult truth, difficult for those who don't believe, for those who believe, it is the best news ever. It is impossible to imagine anything better than out of His grace, God has chosen me, unworthy as I am, to be His child. <laughs> and I believe that I will live with Him forever. What if, God forbid, someone takes such offense to your message that they, can cause, that they cause you bodily harm? Two things. One, you're great in God's eyes. And two, the kingdom will advance. Look at the last verse in today's text. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. The mission was a success. I mean, they were excited. They wanted to share the good news with Jesus. But the day would come when all but one of these disciples 
One would betray Jesus and one would live and die in old age. That would be John. But the rest would die a martyr's death. And they would become known as the men who turned the world upside down. They did so by proclaiming the truth. Every time someone rejects your message about Jesus, you have a decision to make about what you believe. Now, don't make more of that than I intend. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to always come back to the truth. But just like John the Baptist, sometimes you think, wow, I just don't get this. We're in a war. Because of our history here in the States, we want to think of the gospel as being perceived as goodness and light in the land. But if you'll look for it as you read through the New Testament, you'll see that much of this conflict between God and the world is, is put in military terms. I mean, the fiery judgment of sinners is spoken of as just And we're told to abstain from the passions of the flesh that war against our souls, living as aliens in a foreign land. This life is not meant to be easy. But if you're like me, you seek to not only make it comfortable, but as comfortable as possible. That's what I want. I want life to be easy. I want to just rest with my girl, you know. I just want us to sit on the front porch. Say, howdy, neighbors. Howdy. Nice to see you. Then, oh, let's mosey on down. Dunkin' Donuts. I live real close to Dunkin' Donuts. but One who proclaims the truth is going to find life to be less than comfortable no matter how hard we we might seek it but that's okay you know when I was six years old I joined uh, the swim team in Fuquay Springs it was back in the day six years old and I was pretty good at it won a lot of races uh, until I hit 11 or 12 everybody else started growing I stayed tiny and I know I'm tiny to this day um, not so But I was tiny for a long time. I I was probably 30 years old before I started gaining any weight at all. I was just a little bitty thing, but but I loved to swim. And and in those races, you know, where they were close and coming down the home stretch, the words of my mother kept ringing in my ears and in my heart and mind, you can rest at the end. I mean, I wanted to just take it easy. But she had said, you can rest at the end. At the end. And so I swam as hard as I could. That's a great word for believers, isn't it? I mean, you may be tempted to quit putting yourself out there. Sharing the gospel with people who not only just don't care, but who are opposed. Who find what you say offensive. Truth is costly. And to proclaim the truth requires laser focus. When you look around, you may feel like you are arguing for an increasingly lost cause. But it's not your kingdom. It's his kingdom. 
And he puts you where he wants you. And you don't see the big picture. You may see a battle that is turned disastrous. And you may indeed give your life in the battle. But if you are a soldier of Jesus Christ, it's not your concern. I ought to just stop right there. Because that's really the way the Gospels go. We want to make it nice and say, but, no but. It's just, that's what it is. We have a privilege to share the gospel, but we have a calling to proclaim the truth. No matter what it costs. Revelation, man, the end, wow. Fighting going on. And God prevails. And the new heavens and the new earth are going to be a zillion times better than Allison and me sitting on the front porch. Moseying on down the road when we feel like it. A million times. You know what? God calls us to be faithful, proclaim the truth, and we can rest at the end. Let's pray. Well, as I come to pronounce a benediction over us as the body of Christ, uh, it's a very simple and direct teaching today, a great teaching. Thank you, Brad, for allowing the Lord to use you in that way. And it just dawned on me that, uh, you know, as we prayed for the crosses, they are being called to specifically go to Washington, D.C. But all of us, each one of us is called to do what they're doing where we're at. I mean, that's what the message today was. Uh, So... The benediction, uh, may the Lord remind us, sear on our hearts, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation, and that is teaching through Peter, may impress upon our hearts to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks, to give a reason for the hope that is in us, and to do it with gentleness and respect. And as the body of Christ, we say, amen.